Welcome and thank you for standing by. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During our Q&A session, you may press star 1 on your touchtone phone if you would like to ask a question. When asking a question, please announce your name and affiliation. This call is being recorded. If you have any objections, you may disconnect at this time. Now I'd like to turn the meeting over to the Honorable Jane Harmon, Director, President, and CEO of the Wilson Center. Ma'am, you may begin. Thank you, Operator, and good afternoon, uh, and welcome to those joining uh, this call from the United States, Iceland, and around the world. That uh, it might be evening, wherever you are, but at any rate, welcome to the 156th, I am not making this up, Ground Truth Briefing, hosted by the Wilson Center. Uh, in this case, by the Wilson Center's Polar Institute, which is partnering with the, Kennedy, uh, the Harvard Kennedy School's Arctic Initiative, to discuss their new report on plastic pollution in the Arctic. Discussions like this one are the reason why, for three years in a row, the Wilson Center has been named the number one think tank in the world for both regional studies and institutional collaboration. Before I go further, I do want to recognize a person whom I know is on this call, I think listening in from Boston, and her name is Alice Rogoff. And the reason that I, personally, uh, got so involved in these issues is that she came to see me in my office at the Wilson Center and said in her quiet way, Jane, do you know there's a new ocean? And as a uh, recovering member of Congress after nine terms from Los Angeles, no, I didn't. I was thinking Pacific, Atlantic, etc. No, no, Arctic Ocean. And she is responsible for getting me excited about this. She was enormously helpful to the formation of the Wilson Center's Polar Initiative, and I know she's connected at the other end with Harvard, so hi, Alice. Um, continuing, human activity is ramping up in the Arctic Ocean as ice caps melt and new waterways open for shipping, oil exploration, and industry. Unfortunately, that means pollution is also on the rise. An estimated 8 million metric tons of plastic enters the ocean worldwide every year. And it's unlikely, and it's likely, excuse me, a growing proportion of that is ending up in the Arctic. To put that into perspective, all the blue whales in the world combined only weigh one-third as much as the plastic that enters the ocean in just one year. Got to say that again. All the blue whales in the world combined only weigh one-third as much as the plastic that enters the ocean in just one year. And if this issue weren't urgent enough, an event earlier this week by our Environmental Change and Security Program highlighted that environmental change and human activity are part, a big part, of the reason why the COVID-19 pandemic happened in the first place and why the virus spread so quickly. And our center-wide 50th Earth Day celebration yesterday is another timely reminder that we must take care of our planet now more than ever. By the way, I encourage you all to download our new Earth Challenge 2020 app if you haven't already. Uh, raise your hand virtually uh, if you've done it. And if you're not raising your hand virtually, do it. The world's largest citizen, uh, citizen science initiative, it allows people across the globe to record air quality and pollution data in their area. Uh, the result is billions of data points that give policymakers, researchers, and the public more accurate information about the health of our planet. In fact, uh, you know, this kind of thing is being talked about for uh, contact tracing for the COVID uh, issue. And we can do this right now and probably with great accuracy uh, for the uh, climate change and, uh, and uh, Earth challenge. And so please do it. Uh, but I digress. Today we welcome Brittany Janice and Hala Grund. Uh, I'll get this. Hada, yes, and Hala, um, Mike will introduce her better, from Harvard's Arctic Initiative to join our very own Marisol Maddox and Ambassador David Bolton in conversation. They will dig into their report on Arctic pollution, which is meant to inform an international symposium on the subject that the Icelandic chairmanship of the Arctic Council is organizing in Reykjavik this fall. Um, the uh, Iceland chairs the Arctic Council this year, and this is going to be a big focus of the meeting that I've attended personally a number of times and that often features the Wilson Center's work. Iceland has made plastic pollution one of its signature issues, 
and we are proud to work with the Harvard Kennedy School, as I said, to put forth the policy recommendations that will power the Council's response. Introducing our speakers and correcting my messed up naming of Hala uh, is our very own Mike Sraga, the unmatched director of our Polar Institute. Mike is relieved that we're holding this meeting at a reasonable hour in Alaska. Yesterday he had to get up in the middle of the night to be part of our meeting. But thank you to Mike and his team for their hard work and excellent programming in these enormously unusual times. I would just close with this. I was in... Uh, uh, Southern Africa over the holidays with my grandchildren, lucky me, went on a safari, and there in Victoria Falls at the edge of the road was a giant baboon sitting at the edge of the road holding a giant uh, empty plastic bottle of Coke. How horrifying. So on that note, please welcome Mike Sprague. Shane, thank you very much for the introductory comments, and yes, this is a much more civil civil time to be up and running uh, from Alaska, but we very much appreciate um, your your time and your introduction. And Jane, um, I know you've got um, meeting after meeting, but uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you do stay with us, uh, I wonder if we can impose upon you to ask the first question when we're done speaking. Would that be okay? That's okay. I will. Great. Thank you. Uh, uh, welcome, everyone, to this Ground Truth Briefing. It's going to be focused on a report uh, that came uh, as a result of a meeting that was held with our colleagues uh, at Harvard, uh, supported by Wilson and many colleagues from around the world, which then produced the document that we will speak about today and it's up on our website and downloadable. And that report is Policy and Action on Plastic Pollution in the Arctic Ocean. Uh, we all talk about, those of us in the Arctic community, that the Arctic now is a globalized Arctic. We are interconnected to almost every issue uh, on the planet, of course. That's a very good thing, but in this case, uh, perhaps not so good, as we find that plastics have inundated uh, the Arctic Ocean and the Arctic environment uh, from all uh, sources, uh, but it has embedded itself in the food cycle uh, on and on and on to reproduce itself into the into the subsistence lifestyle of our Alaska Natives and uh, Arctic indigenous peoples. So I think that this presentation today, based on this report, will be a fundamental piece of work for the Arctic community from which we know several other initiatives will be launched, are being launched, uh, and lots of resulting research to be done in the future. I also want to talk about the partnership between Harvard and Wilson. Um, you know, in, in a world of academics and research, we have great partners, great cooperation. There are, there are as always, some turf issues. But here we have two organizations that have complementary expertise, a shared sense of urgency and vision. So I want to thank my friends Harvard for the substantial partnership that we have and that will evolve into the future. Uh, it is something that the Arctic simply needs, all of us pulling in one direction. As uh, Jane noted, we, th we thank Alice for being the enzyme and the catalyst for both of our programs and several others in the Arctic as well. And as you noted, uh, this project here and uh, related work is done in partnership with the chairmanship of the Arctic Council through our colleagues, leaders of currently leaders of the Arctic Council. So we always look for ways to advance the Arctic, especially through the Arctic Council's good work and the great work of the Icelandic chairmanship. Today we have four of the five authors of that paper, Policy and Action on Plastic Pollution, with us uh, to discuss what's in the report, recommendations, and, and probably other follow-up as needed. Uh, so let me just simply again go through the list of speakers, four of the five authors. I understand that Fran Ulmer, fifth author, may be online as well, and we would invite Fran to participate uh, as she would like. So we have with us from uh, the Harvard Kennedy School Belfort Center Arctic Initiative, Hotla. And Hotla, um, we will all try desperately to say your last name the right way. But as I get it, uh, Logan Bottas. Uh, is the closest I'm going to get, and this is from a guy whose last name is Sfrega. So, Hotla, we welcome you. She is all. She serves as the director of the Arctic uh, Initiative at, at the Harvard's Kennedy School Arctic Initiative at the Belfort Center. Brittany Janis is project coordinator at the Arctic Initiative at the Belfort Center, and Marisol Maddox is the Arctic analyst for our Polar Institute at the Wilson Center. And as Jane noted, Ambassador David Bolton is a senior fellow. At the policy at the Polar Institute at the Wilson Center, uh, I would note one last thing before I turn it over to the panel. 
For those of you online who want to ask a question, we ask that you get in the queue early, and that would be star one. If you press star one, it will put you into a queue, and then at the end of the speakers, uh, I will then coordinate the conversation or questions that come up as a result of the program. So with that, Hatla, I will turn it over to you to begin our presentation. Thank you so much, Mike, and um, excellent job on the pronunciation, I have to say. Um, <laughs> it's rare to get that right. Um, first of all, I want to thank you at the Wilson Center Solar Initiative for hosting the call and for all the collaboration on this project and others. It's always a pleasure to work with you. And I'd like to echo um, uh, the, the voice to, to Alice Rokov, who has also been instrumental in helping us develop the work and establish the Arctic Initiative at the Harvard Tennis School. So starting with that. But um, on the issue of plastic pollution that we're focusing here today, um, I would just like to start by saying that, you know, this is a huge global challenge. But what I find striking when you start exploring the issue is how relatively recent the problem is. The magnitude of plastic waste is, you know, only started to accumulate in the early 1960s, and about half of the world's plastic has been produced in just the last 13 years. And thus, the plastic challenge that we're focusing on is, is really a problem of our current generation. Um, we haven't inherited it from, from the past, and we definitely did not pass it on to the future. And I think that's what makes addressing the problem now and to collaborate on addressing the problem now so incredibly urgent. Um, and then when you start to look at the plastic pollution uh, challenge on a regional basis, you quickly find out, uh, looking at the Arctic region, that the problem is growing. The marine litter uh, uh, problem is generally uh, with a specific uh, growth in, in plastic pollution. And I think it's important here to, to highlight that this development is not only an environmental risk for the fragile Arctic environment and ecosystem, it is at the same time a long-term health risk for local communities who live of the land and the sea, and it is an economic risk because many of the Arctic nations count on fisheries for their exports, uh, and they count on you know, selling a pure uh, product uh, for, for a good market price. So this issue really matters uh, on so many levels. And that is why I think that the, the, the Arctic Council's current focus on this issue as a part of Iceland's chairmanship goals is extremely important and timely. And maybe to add to what you shared already and to provide a bit of context to, to some people here on the call, call that may not and not know much about the Arctic Council, the Arctic Council has a rotating chairmanship, and uh, this time Iceland uh, has, has the chairmanship, and each chairmanship sets priorities. And in 2019, Iceland decided, in collaboration with other Arctic states, to put more emphasis on plastic pollution and the work that had already started in the Arctic Council uh, by one of their working groups, at least paying the protection of the Arctic marine environment and others. Um, and the goals of, of, of this uh, work that the Arctic Council is, is carrying out is to develop uh, an ambitious, strategic, regional uh, plan to combat plastic pollution in the Arctic. Uh, and that plan would be the first one of its kind. So, um, as we all can imagine, developing such an, an important regional plan is, is not an easy task to deliver. Uh, plastic pollution is one of these complex global challenges like climate change that will not be solved with any party alone. It is an issue that you need to uh, look at uh, holistically. You have to cover, you have to understand the layer of the land, you have to explore challenges related to production, uh, to waste management, you have to look at the policies and so forth, not only in the Arctic, but also globally. So in, in, in 2019, when we saw that uh, the Iceland uh, and the Arctic Council were kind of moving forward on, on putting more emphasis on this work, uh, our institutions, uh, the Wilson Center Poland uh, Initiative and, and the Harvard Kennedy School's Arctic Initiative, 
decided to team up uh, with ISIS chairmanship and the Arctic Council on, 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 on helping uh, developing um, um, solutions and, 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 and try to solve together this issue. And so we, I think, I, th I think I find it correctly that I, I think we see ourselves as an ally of the Arctic Council uh, in, in, in their development of this uh, big mission, uh, helping to feature the latest research and knowledge uh, into a successful regional plan. So the report that you mentioned, Mike, and, and we're going to cover here in much more detail, is it's born out of this collaboration, or it's born out of a workshop that we co-hosted in October last year, where we brought together over 60 experts, scientists, politicians, industry leaders, uh, indigenous community representatives, NGOs, and so forth, all that has expertise in this issue from, from a science perspective, from policy perspective, from the industry. And, and together we were thinking about what are the research gaps that we need to cover and what are the policies that we need to start thinking about implementing to address the challenge. And of course, um, this dialogue included um, the chairmanship, it included pain, uh, and we focused uh, very much on learning from existing plans like the OSPAR Regional Action Plan and the Caribbean Regional Action, Action Plan uh, because you won't solve any of, of, uh, of such a big challenge, such a complex challenge like the Arctic uh, plastic pollution uh, issue without uh, a collaborative mindset. So let me just end by saying that I think the report is really a fruit of a wide collaboration between all of the workshop participants and their respective communities and organizations. And I really think we all hope that it can be useful in the journey of developing a strategic plan to combat plastic pollution. Thank you. Thank you, Havla, for your remarks. Uh, I'll just say that uh, I thought one particular issue you brought up was the how we're, you know, in my words, rallying around the Arctic Council, the chairmanships, and their agenda. And this is a really good example of how organizations like ours can help advance countries' um, agendas and their vision uh, done in appropriate uh, and in a, a team fashion where we all can list together these very important. So thank you for bringing that up. Let's transition to Brittany. Brittany is the project coordinator at the Arctic Initiative. Brittany, I will turn over the virtual floor to you. Perfect. Thanks so much, Mike, and thanks um, to everyone on this call. We're really excited about this report and the opportunity that it does pose to hopefully provide some solutions. Um, as Hotla mentioned in her remarks, one of the things that we tried really hard to do at our workshop and through this report is bring together a whole bunch of diverse voices uh, who all need to be part of the conversation to solve this issue. And so uh, I'm going to be focusing primarily on two of the case studies that we talked on in the report and drawing out a few of the big themes uh, of our findings and our recommendations going forward. Because one of the things that we really were proud of and are excited about is the opportunity to highlight some of the very promising things that are actually happening uh, in both the Arctic and globally to combat plastic pollution. Um, so the two th uh, case studies I'm going to be talking about are the one on El Gramo um, and the Association of Expedition Cruise Operators, AECO. Um, and I'm going to kind of take them through three major themes that we put in our findings. Um, and those three themes are engaging community and local solutions, um, engaging industry and coming up with solutions, and overall thinking about the problem not so much through the lens of cleanup, although cleanup obviously is very important to the amount of plastic that's already out there in the environment, but what can we do to reduce the amount of plastic that is going into the environment and what are some interesting ways we can think about encouraging circular economy, encouraging recycling, reuse. Um, and so those are sort of the three big themes I'm going to uh, touch on today. Uh, in terms of engaging the community and local solutions, one of the things that is interesting about um, our findings throughout the report was this sense that you know, the Arctic is not necessarily uh, a region that has only one culture. Um, each locality has its own uniqueness to it. And so finding solutions is going to be really important to understanding what are the local priorities. And 
one of the case studies, the El Gramo case study that we highlighted, I think shows really well how a solution that really engages people locally can be effective in finding ways to reduce the amount of plastic going to the environment. So I'll briefly tell the story of Jose Manuel Muller, who is one of the founders of El Gramo. He is from Santiago, Chile, and he actually moved into a community right after graduation, uh, one of the poorest communities in Chile, in trying to understand how can he really help reduce poverty. And one of the common problems that he found was that people who were living in this uh, low-income community were only able to buy small satchels of goods, things like uh, both food but also, you know, soap and dishwashing liquid, things like that. They had to buy them in very small amounts because they didn't have the capacity, the, the money available to be able to buy in bulk, even though bulk per gram is actually much less expensive. And so he set out to come up with a solution to be able to address that challenge of people having to buy things in small satchels, partially to address the poverty issue, but also to address, address the issue of plastic pollution. Because when he walked through his neighborhood, he would see these little plastic satchels, single-use plastics everywhere. And so he came up with the idea of El Gramo, which is a circular economy solution, technology solution, um, that simply puts an RFID chip into a plastic bottle. And it allows people to um, buy the plastic bottle and then actually get a discount on the purchases that they uh, use by reusing the bottle over and over again. Um, so this is one idea that we highlighted, and it showed not only innovation when it came to circular economy, but also how important it was for he, him to be embedded in the community and to recognize the challenges that the community he was specifically addressing was facing in order to be able to come up with a circular solution to plastic pollution. And this company is scaling. There's more about it in the report. Um, they're right now putting bulk goods on bicycles, and they bike the bikes around, and people can refill their containers using the RFID chip and get credit for it. It's also in supermarkets, and it's in the process of potentially launching um, in the United States and further globally. Um, so this is sort of one of the kinds of ideas we wanted to people to think about. How do you create a more circular economy? How do you reduce plastic waste? But how do you do it in such a way that you're designing the solution specifically focused on the problem that's happening locally? Um, in terms of industry engagement, one of the other case studies is the Association of Arctic Expedition Cruise Operators. And they launched a Clean Seas program uh, just a few years ago, which has been a really shining example of one of the things that we think could be an effective kind of model for addressing plastic pollution. When they started their program, they were basically setting out to do uh, four things. Significantly reduce the amount of single-use plastics that were on board expedition cruise vessels, enhance cleanup efforts in the Arctic, educate and motivate passengers and staff and crew, and share knowledge and best practices. So the way that this has worked for them um, is sort of twofold, and it gets to two of the major themes that you know I also want to make sure we're addressing, is this idea of reducing plastic and then also engaging local communities and industry in being part of the solution. So they've done two big things. First is as part of their working with all of their member ship operators, they've gone on the ships and they say, where are the plastic, single-use plastics that you already have? How do we get rid of them? So they do audits on the ships. They figure out ways to get rid of single-use uh, water bottles, things like small plastic uh, shampoo bottles that you would find in your uh, hotel room, other uh, plastic utensils. And they figure out a strategy to encourage the people who are coming on these boats to bring reusable items themselves. The other thing that they're doing is they're partnering with local communities to make sure that cleanup is also able to happen. So they have expeditions on land in Svalbard where they have their uh, people who are on these cruises come and actually do cleanup and do citizen science. Another theme that's emerging is how can you get more data through citizens participating? Um, and so these are just two of the examples that we highlighted, um, and both of them are focused on engaging locally, thinking of ways industry can be part of the solution, and then also thinking about ways that overall we can reduce the amount of plastic going into the environment. So I'll stop there for the sake of time, but these are just two of the really fantastic examples that we were able to pull out 
um, both at the workshop and in greater detail in the report. Thank you, Brittany, for that. Uh, I'm going to reserve a couple of follow-up questions to the end, but let's uh, let's transition to Marisol, who's our RA analyst at the Polar Institute. Marisol? Thank you, Mike, uh, and thanks so much to everyone who's contributed to this effort. Um, so because we wanted to address every stage of the plastic pollution issue, we included two additional case studies that feature examples of efforts that have organically emerged in the Arctic, uh, that are geared towards reducing the amount of plastic that enters the waste stream and potentially ends up in the environment, which also helps to reduce demand for new plastic to be produced. This includes one case study on innovation in material science, which provides an alternative to plastic, and a second case study on an economic model which incentivizes participation in the circular economy, allowing for plastic that's currently in production to have its lifespan extended. From the material science side, we were joined at our workshop by Dr. Philippe Omsislavsky, who is a professor of public health at the University of Alaska Anchorage and the co-founder of a biomaterials startup company called Rhizoform LLC. Rhizoform has created a lab-grown fungi-based material with similar insulation properties to polystyrene. Um, polystyrene is commonly used as insulation in boxes of frozen fish that are shipped across the globe. It's estimated that over 1 million insulated boxes travel just through Alaska every year, and that's not accounting for the other parts of the Arctic where fish sales are substantial parts of the economy. So associated polystyrene use is significant. It's also commonly used as an insulation in houses in the Arctic. So the problem is that polystyrene is produced from fossil fuels. The production of it includes additional significant greenhouse gas emissions, and the polystyrene has to be shipped in, which adds to its overall carbon footprint. Because polystyrene is lightweight, when it's discarded in an open dump, uh, which is common in rural Arctic communities, it's likely to get blown out into the environment. So whether in a dump or in the environment, polystyrene persists for a very long time, and research is just beginning to understand how serious polystyrene and other plastics are when it comes to human and environmental health concerns. The benefit of using a biomaterial, such as one that's grown from mycelium, which is the vegetative structure of fungi, is that it's fully biodegradable, so it will not contribute to the waste stream, and it also can be easily cultivated in low-tech labs anywhere in the world to cut down on emissions and costs associated with transport. Importantly, rhizoform biomaterial has an insulation ability on par with that of polystyrene. Some of the challenges that Rhizoform and other innovators in the biomaterial science field face are finding personnel, um, just because the Arctic region is so vast and some of the communities are fairly disparate. Um, additionally, there can be challenges with finding funding and resources for the business side of the endeavors, including research on how much they would need to scale up volume to make their product cost competitive for industry. As the world grapples with the coronavirus pandemic, it's also worth noting that in Dr. Omsislavsky's research on human health concerns from plastic, he specifically articulated that the surface volume and structure of microplastics makes them a potential vehicle for the transport of viruses across vast distances. So this is one of the many reasons why plastic pollution is concerning. Um, our second case study looked at improvements in waste management and the circular economy. So we were joined at our workshop by Olafur Kjartansson, who is the managing director of the Icelandic Recycling Fund, which was launched by the government of Iceland as part of their initiative to systematically reduce waste and increase reuse. Although it's state-owned, the fund has a board of directors with representatives from different sectors, including industry and municipalities, and that helps to ensure that they have a voice so that policies that are decided upon are more likely to garner widespread support. The fund seeks to create an economic framework for the reduction of waste and the reutilization of materials through a fee-based system, which provides financial incentives to increase waste collection and proper disposal. Um, this is a conceptual framework that could be applied in many other countries outside of Iceland. 
producers and importers of specified products ranging from plastic packaging to tires are subject to a fee, which is used to fund enhanced waste collection, disposal, and recycling. One of the most concerning types of plastic pollution is ghost gear, which is lost, abandoned, or discarded fishing gear. It persists for hundreds of years and continues to entrap fish and other marine life, placing additional stressors on fisheries that are very important to the economies of Iceland and many other Arctic nations. It's estimated that ghost gear makes up around 10% of the volume of global marine plastic pollution. The Icelandic Recycling Fund um, has worked with the fishing industry to increase awareness of this issue and why it's really in the industry's own interest to collaborate on actions to prevent ghost gear in the ocean. They've been able to develop methods for reducing the loss of nets at sea and improve dialogue with third-party waste management companies for more responsible disposal of nets. The Icelandic Recycling Fund also maintains a voluntary agreement with the fishing industry, which permits the return of gear like nets and ropes to waste collection sites without being charged a fee. The Icelandic Recycling Fund has private industry partners who they work with to recycle the fishing gear. Currently, many fishing nets are constructed with multiple types of plastic within a single net, which makes recycling really challenging because um, it's a lot easier when the plastics are already separated by type. This barrier is actually addressed um, further through the work of two private sector entities that were included in our workshop um, and gave presentations. One is a Danish company called Plastics. That's plastics with an X at the end. Um, and they use mechanical recycling. And the other is an American company called Agilix, which uses chemical recycling. Um, all of the companies I mentioned are featured in our paper, where you can also find the case studies in their entirety, and they go a little more in-depth. Um, so what all of these have in common is the principle that the most effective way to address the issue of plastic pollution is really through place-specific solutions as opposed to a one-size-fits-all solution and including cooperation and coordination across sectors. So with that, I look forward to questions. Marisol, thank you for covering that. Brittany Marisol, nice job of just framing these uh, quote-unquote case studies and lessons learned. Appreciate that. Holla, nice tee-up on, on the foundational discussions. Uh, let's now move to, to Dave Bolton, who's a senior fellow at the Polar uh, Institute, uh, and allow Dave uh, some time to maybe talk a little bit more about the report. Uh, and then uh, I want to remind everyone online that if you hit the star one, that you'll get in the queue for your questions, uh, which we'll take after after Dave speaks and after uh, Jane Harmon speaks. Dave, to you, please. Thanks very much, Mike, and hello, everyone. Well, the people who spoke before me uh, covered material quite well, I thought. I don't have very much to add. Maybe what I can do best is both take a step back uh, to look at the bigger picture in which this is unfolding, but also then to look ahead. Where are we going from here? Um, among the most serious problems facing the ocean, I can think of two, uh, and I'm now talking about the global ocean, not just the Arctic. And one is pollution, and plastic pollution in particular. What Jane Harmon said at the outset is uh, not only true, but shockingly so, that 8 million metric tons on average are estimated of plastic are estimated to enter the ocean each year. Uh, at that rate, we will have more plastic by weight in the ocean than we will have fish by 2050. Really extraordinary. The Another of the major problems facing the ocean are all the consequences of climate change, and they're, they're multiple, um, from sea surface temperature uh, rising and uh, uh, sea level rising, coral bleaching, acidification. The thing about it in the Arctic is these two problems are um, exacerbating one another. It's the melting of the Arctic and the receding sea ice that, in, to a large extent, has allowed plastic pollution to flow into the Arctic as never before. It's why we are talking about plastic pollution in the Arctic uh, now and not, say, 15 or 20 years ago. Um, I'm happy to say that, at least in the United States, the problem of plastic pollution uh, is uh, one on which both sides of the aisle uh, seem to agree Congress has passed legislation to save our seas act to deal in part with plastic pollution. There seems to be 
a willingness um, to uh, combat this problem. And what is true in the United States seems to be true worldwide. Uh, the difficulty, and some of the speakers who came before me highlighted them, that it's, uh, there is not a one-size-fits-all solution. There are uh, any number of uh, different circumstances that need to be taken into account. And I think the workshop hosted at Harvard last fall um, demonstrated that there are a lot of different pieces of a puzzle that need somehow to be woven together if we're going to reduce plastic pollution, including in the Arctic region. We um, launched this initiative in partnership with the Icelandic Chairmanship of the Arctic Council for very good reason. The Icelandic Chairmanship and the Council as a whole is focused on the Arctic Ocean as a, as a major theme. Within that theme, plastic pollution and combating it, of course, is one of the specific uh, desires the Icelandic Chairmanship has. Um, there was to have been a larger symposium on combating plastic pollution in the Arctic in April. Our workshop at Harvard last fall was supposed to feed into that symposium. Thanks to COVID, uh, that symposium is now postponed to late September. We're certainly hoping it will take place then, and we're um, anticipating that the um, recommendations and uh, case studies that we have put forward will help inform that discussion. Uh, more broadly, the Arctic Council, someone also mentioned this earlier, is working on its own regional action plan on marine litter, including on plastic pollution. Uh, several of the Arctic Council working groups are combining, and that's led by the PAME Working Group, Protection of the Arctic Marine Environment. Uh, if you go on the Arctic Council website today, you'll see an interview with um, our colleagues, Magnus Hansen and Gundit Ritter, who both participated in uh, the Harvard workshop, talking about the workshop and how it uh, is helping to shape uh, the regional action plan under development in the Arctic Council now. So um, although the problem is daunting and I would say growing, and still unfortunately um, not entirely well known, the good news here is that it has seemed to have attracted a significant attention and there are uh, the beginnings of solutions emerging uh, that may be uh, replicable in different parts of the Arctic or uh, lessons learned from other parts of the world that can be adapted to and applied in portions of the Arctic. And I'm hopeful that together uh, this uh, can at least reduce the scale of the problem uh, that others have outlined today. Mike, I'll stop there and let's have, let's have some dialogue. Great. Thank you, Dave. Um, Jane, I wonder if, if you wouldn't mind uh, perhaps asking the first question or at least tossing in the first uh, enzyme to start a discussion. Well, I just put down my small plastic little Coke uh, bottle, and so I'm feeling very guilty. I want, I want to confess, and I promise it will go to the recycling bin, and then I'm just going to pray that the stuff in my recycling bin, which is uh, picked up separately by my trash service, Will go will actually be recycled. I know there's reason to believe uh, a lot of that's fake news, and it still gets dumped into the same landfills or you know uh, into the ocean, and then goes to our our new ocean, uh, which is horrifying. So um, now that I've confessed and I feel really bad, um, I want to ask a question about um, to to this panel as follows: um, all of you stated what the problem was and stated some good solutions. I, I think that's impressive. Uh, and uh, I think everyone is working on solutions, even me, even though I'm so, sorry I drank my Coke. Um, I guess my question is, are we going to kill all the whales before we actually implement the solutions? What, what kind of timelines are we on in terms of um, uh, the acceleration of pollution versus the acceleration of solution? question. Well, this Dave, maybe I'll start. Um, and I think the answer is we don't know, um, especially in the Arctic, uh, what we know about the scope and scale of the plastic pollution problem is really pretty staggering still. It's a, it's a difficult environment in which to uh, conduct this type of research, and uh, the, including on the effect on marine mammals and other 
um, uh, marine organisms. So uh, we don't really know what time scale is and how bad the effects are. Uh, what we have learned so far, though, is uh, troubling, uh, to say the least. And it's not just uh, the whales and the other uh, animals that live in the ocean, it's us. As we consume um, fish and other uh, products from the ocean, we too are absorbing little bits of plastic ourselves. So it's not uh, only for the interests of other species, but our own species that we need to be getting on top of this problem. I, I would just add um, briefly that, you know, it, at the beginning of our report, we note that half of all the plastics that has been produced has been produced in the last 13 years. Um, and 34 billion metric tons of plastic are expected to be produced by 2050. Um, all of that's quite scary, but it kind of goes back to what Hotla mentioned in her earlier remarks, that though this problem is daunting, it's relatively recent. Um, and so if we can innovate as quickly as we can produce, <laughs> there actually is some opportunity and hope there. But, but totally agree with Dave. I think one of the challenges that we're also grappling with is knowing exactly where the biggest sources are and how we can be targeted in addressing those first so we can have sort of the, the biggest impact for the time and money going forward. Maybe if I add to that and echo, echo the comments that have already been uh, put forward, is that the role of industry here and, and, and the importance of creating an economic case for replacing plastics um, is very important in this equation. Um, and, and now I'm not only talking about the Arctic region, but I'm talking about how uh, production takes place globally because uh, a part of the plastic that ends up in the Arctic is not, uh, is coming from other places. So innovation that focus on disrupting supply chains, making sure that, you know, we're replacing the plastics with, with other measures like the Algramo case that Brittany mentioned are going to be uh, an important part of the solution. And such innovations make me optimistic that we can um, implement successful solutions not too late. Yeah, I think this is Marifa. I would just add that, um, you know, we really don't know where a lot of the plastic is at this point. I think globally we have only accounted for where like 1% of plastic has actually ended up. So there are like targeted research gaps that we, you know, that we articulated in the report that we think um, needs to be identified and, and then targeted for research so that we have a better idea um, of large-scale sources, um, and there are some known known gaps that are likely large uh, inputs of plastic. But um, additionally, um, I, I really do feel like, you know, humans are extremely innovative, and uh, there are some technological advancements, even like using satellite imaging um, and different um, like even using sonar for like detecting plastics underwater, like ghost gear. So I think that you know, as the circular economy kind of gains holds, and we also gain greater ability in finding plastic and removing it from the environment, um, it's you know there is reason for hope, but it is a very daunting problem. Thank you all. Um, I know we have uh, some questions in the queue right now, but let me let me ask this one first. Um, I'm looking at your recommendations, and there are a number of them. Uh, but the first one talks about harmonizing protocols and standardization of data, um, you know, coordination of policies, things like that. I wonder. This is going to be a bigger question, so I, I don't know if you can parse it out. But I'm wondering, uh, Dave, taking and you, Adler, taking the emphasis you placed on the leadership from the Atlantic uh, chairmanship uh, and then placing plastics in the overall oceans framework for their chairmanship. How do we advance any of these recommendations 
noting that one giant Venn diagram of effort, right? Iceland and the Arctic Council, those focused on the Arctic Ocean, but it's not just the Arctic Ocean. Uh, we mentioned the Save Our Seas Act with Senator Sullivan and Senator Whitehouse, wonderful bipartisan legislation. We know there's good work being done by Pew, WWF. We can go through a range of, of NGOs who are doing good work as well. We know industry is part of the solution. Uh, we know that uh, Arctic Council at large is looking at this long term. Hotler noted the uh, place of replacing plastics in an economic manner that provides engines for, e for economies that doesn't take away from the economy. So in your, your estimation, how does this report and the work of the Icelandic chairmanship and the Arctic Council get actualized in some ways, maybe through the task force that Dave noted, but then how does it move beyond that? How, how do we sort of get a moonshot here on, if it's not the global oceans, perhaps just the Arctic Ocean, um, that's everywhere from sourcing to, to cleaning up. But is there a way to gel all of these uh, good-intentioned organizations and individuals that can build upon this framework that you have provided, this rec these recommendations that you have provided? Um, this is Dave again. That's a hard question to answer. Uh, for those of you who have taken a look at our report or will look at it, you'll see that we have two sets of recommendations. First, the set of recommendations about the research that needs to be done. Marisol alluded to the research gaps or the data gaps that need to be filled. And then we have a series of policy recommendations as well. And in a sense, uh, and there are a lot of both. And the reason there are so many is that uh, it's a difficult thing to try to bring everyone together in a single coordinated effort. A lot of these recommendations may be implementable in some parts of the Arctic, um, uh, but would not necessarily work in other areas. Some may race ahead, uh, some new promising technology or innovation, uh, where there is um, sort of the, the technolo technological infrastructure support for it in a part of the Arctic that is lacking perhaps elsewhere. Um, the the thing that gives me hope for the Arctic, though, is that the Arctic Council uh, would probably is the institution best placed to try to coordinate this type of work throughout the circumpolar region is now developing this marine action, marine weather action plan for the entire region. And yes, it probably will have some localized components to it, but there is at least uh, the prospect that the efforts were better coordinated, particularly on the research side on the research side, there needs to be um, common metrics, among other things, for uh, assessing the scale of the problem. And we don't even have that lately, uh, or at least to date. So um, it's not going to be easy to coordinate, but at least we're making a start. Hatha, you have uh, another perspective? No, I, I, I would agree with, with you that I think it's very positive. The, the good news here is that the Arctic Council is putting this focus on this work. And I would also say, Mike, the fact that you have so many players in the field will hopefully help put pressure on implementation of, of the Arctic Council recommendations uh, in a, of the strategic plan in the respective uh, Arctic countries. So I think all of this is playing together. The fact that you have so many grassroots organizations working on the issue and then you have uh, the, the higher level kind of policy making forums like the Arctic Council also put, putting a focus on the issue. So that's the good news, I would say. Thank you. Uh, we have a number of people in line for the queue, so let me open that up. So the first uh, name that I see here is Ms. Kaplan from the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, so uh, why don't I yield the floor to her for her question? Ms. Kaplan, your line is open. Okay, great. Hello. Can everybody hear me? We can. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for taking my call, and I really appreciate this uh, virtual forum discussion. So one of the things that I focus on at Coast Guard Headquarters is actually the ship-to-shore interface. When the ships come into a port, they need to be able to discharge their waste. Most of this waste gets collected at the port level and then gets taken off somewhere to to wherever. <laughs> so 
Um, I'm just curious to find out whether any kind of research has been done into what infrastructure is currently available in the various Arctic states. And um, with increased shipping, have they looked at, to, looked at their capacities to be able to handle more waste associated with more ship traffic? Good question. Who would like to take that? Uh, well, this is Dave. I can start, but I'm not sure I know. I really know the answer. Um, one thing I'm sure of is that um, the diversity of conditions found in the Arctic means that there's not going to be a single answer to that question either. There are certainly ports in parts of the Arctic where there are um, the sort of infrastructure that would be necessary to absorb waste from ships coming to port, even in increased amounts. Uh, but many parts of the Arctic uh, that will be experiencing increased shipping and maybe ship arrivals uh, probably don't even have that uh, capacity to handle the type of waste that is already coming in uh, effectively. Mm-hmm. So especially in the North American Arctic, Alaska, Canada, and Greenland, um, probably parts of uh, eastern Russia as well, uh, this is one of the great needs to build up the type of infrastructure to uh, deal with increasing ship traffic, including waste that is coming mm-hmm. from ships that need to be deposited and dealt with appropriately, including, of course, plastic waste. Yeah, I'll just add briefly, um, looking at the uh, Association of Arctic Expedition Cruise Operators case study, one of the things that was really fantastic about their cleanup Svalbard initiative was that they were able to bring tourists into Svalbard, clean up the beaches, do citizen science. Um, But something that was necessary for that partnership to be able to exist was the partnership and collaboration of the government in Svalbard and the port um, to be able to take those things that tourists did collect and work really closely to get rid of that waste. And so I think kind of echoing what they've said, it's going to depend on the locality um, and sort of their ability to work with ships and tourism and and all of those things to support the kind of disposal needed, um, both from different plastics that are coming in as well as plastics that are cleaned up. Mm -hmm. I can can then add as an example of um, work that is being done locally is what Marisol mentioned uh, earlier as the work of the Icelandic Recycling Fund where they have a partnership with the fishing industry. That is an example of potentially a partnership that could be expanded to not only being focused on the fishing industry, but the partnership allows for fishermen to return here um, to waste collection without paying a fee. So that is um, an example of of, uh, um, an incentive created uh, for the shipping industry. That mm-hmm. could potentially be expanded. I don't know if you want to add something to that, Marshall. Marshall, you want to be on mute? Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that um, you've just articulated something that is one of the many challenges that the the region is having to kind of grapple with as it considers increased presence and increased transit um, in the the waters around the different countries. Um, So, yeah, I think that, you know, I I think that, you know, what my colleagues have said um, is I stand by that. And there is one interesting, um, so there's an ecological engineer named John Todd, and he's designed these eco-machines which use biodiversity and natural processes to create, like, really simple, mechanically simple, but biologically complex systems that are really significantly capable of um, breaking down waste. And so this isn't something that's really been looked at for the Arctic, but I think that it has some potential and that it is an area that, um, you know, communities could potentially 
utilize because it is mechanically simple and it really relies on the like the wisdom of complex biological processes to be able to uh, break down waste, kind of similar to the way that a wetland is like the best water purifier that we know of. And so I think mm-hmm. harnessing some of these lessons from nature um, has real um, potential um, for this kind of coming time. Thank you, Marisol. <clears throat> I would um, also note, and then I'll move on to the next question, I'll also note that although a very stressed organization, not in terms of uh, their ability, but what they're being asked to do, the Arctic Coast Guard form, it would be very interesting follow-up perhaps with them, although, you know, the leaders of those organizations uh, may not want another task, but it would be, I, I think, at least interesting to have that discussion about um, relating this, you know, to the Coast Guards, uh, quote-unquote, that, you know, there might be some some work that could be in the civil you know, civil security space, uh, coordination between public-private partnerships with each of the nation's coast guards. I don't know about that, but that would be an interesting follow-up to have. Let me uh, now go to um, Dr. Lawson Brigham, who is also a senior fellow at the Polar Institute at the Wilson Center. Are you on? And if you are, uh, please ask your question. Yeah, I'm on. Can you hear me? We can. Yeah, good, good. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is another global oceans issue, uh, and and it's interconnected with globalization and and the use of the oceans. But but for the Arctic, uh, of course, we have this IMO polar code. So I'm interested in how uh, what you might think about tweaking the polar code uh, to handle the plastics issue. The polar code currently. Uh, doesn't handle fishing vessels, and, and I see that uh, in the latest PAME numbers, that 41% of the uh, ships, so supposedly vessels, in the Arctic, which is defined by the IMO Polar Code boundary, are fishing vessels which carry a lot of plastic w- with their nets. So I'm wondering if uh, for regionally anyway we might be able to attack this plastics problem for major commercial ships and fishing vessels through the IMO and through uh, the Polar Code? Great question. Who would like to uh, respond? Uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll try again. Um, uh, it's true that uh, a high percentage, large percentage of the vessels in the Arctic are fishing or fishing-related vessels. And it's also true that um, a significant part of the plastic pollution problem in the Arctic has to do with lost and abandoned fishing gear made of plastic. Um, And so if you put those two ideas together, yes, uh, getting a handle on that particular problem um, needs to be uh, a big part of the solution. Um, And you would think in a rational world the IMO would be a place to go uh, to try to strengthen the regulation of this sort of stuff, perhaps in conjunction with the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN. The two have in the past tried to work together to deal with other problems of fishing vessels. Um, For reasons lost, and you probably know better than I, uh, at IMO there has typically been an unwillingness to include fishing vessels in some of the um, IMO conventions uh, and the regulations adopted there under uh, for somewhat complicated reasons. This may be uh, a moment to see if we can overcome some of that resistance given the, the nature of this particular problem. And yes, the IMO does seem open to um, building upon improving the polar code since it entered into force a few years ago in 2017. Um, I know this work being done on heavy fuel oil, perhaps um, dealing with plastic pollution from ships might be another place uh, where the polar could be, could be strengthened, including by including fishing vessels or at least fishing vessels above a certain size um, within its within its scope. Uh, Mike, could I just add Thank one you, point? Uh, yes, one point, and then we're, we've got about a minute. Yeah, left. yeah, yeah, okay. No, uh, there was a, the sea ice in the Antarctic the other day, uh, a note in The Guardian uh, that reported on uh, particles of, of plastic in the sea ice in the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. So, of course, 
completely global issue now in the global oceans. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Lawson, for, for that. And I want to thank all the panelists. Let me just do, do a quick wrap-up here. One is uh, I want to thank all of the 100-plus uh, that are on this call. We appreciate it very much. Uh, you'll look for other uh, related topics uh, on ground truth briefings from not just the Polar Institute but the Wilson Center, and certainly look for uh, additional work being done by uh, Wilson Center and, and Harvard uh, and through their Arctic Initiative. I want to thank Dave and Brittany, Hotla, Marisol, and Tran for crafting this report, for the good work behind it, certainly the Icelandic chairmanship for their leadership in this area. We look forward to continuing working with them. For those of you who have not seen the paper, you can either go to the Wilson Center website of the Polar Institute or Harvard Kennedy School's Belfort Center Arctic Initiative to get a copy of that. Um, we'll look forward to follow-up, as Dave noted and Hotla noted. There are a number of follow-ups that will be planned here, hopefully in the near future. Um, and we'll look forward to following this topic going forward. So to all of you, to Jane, thank you very much for kicking this off and allowing us the space to have this good discussion. Uh, and I want to thank you all for participating. And, and as always, in our, in our time, uh, in our new reality, everyone, please stay safe. And we thank you for your interest and your participation in today's call. Thank you very much. This concludes your conference and you may disconnect. Your conference has ended and you may disconnect. Thank you for joining.